God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. Of all the sanctification that you will ever participate during your lifetime is to be building toward love, building toward joy, maturing toward peace, maturing in long-suffering, maturing in gentleness, maturing in kindness, goodness, and maturing in faith, maturing in meekness, maturing in temperance against such there is no law. God wants you to have all those in spades in your own personal life. So that's what we covered in the first time together. And the second time together, we talked about some general principles on developing a constant, conscious, personal relationship with Christ. And um, that's where we're going to go tonight. But I want to go back to Genesis and talk just a minute. <clears throat> you don't need to turn there at what happened in Genesis, which is commonly called the fall. And I, I think I may have referenced that earlier in a couple teachings. I, I think it's a very weak term that does not explain to the devout Christian who wants to pursue a life in Christ. What happened there is listed in Romans 1. 18. So let's turn there to Romans 1.18, and you may be quite familiar with this, but in Romans 1.18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or hold down the truth and unrighteousness. So what happened in Genesis with Adam and Eve uh, was that the fall is such a weak term. Falling, pl- falling implies that you can get up on under your own steam. And um, what actually happened to them is they became totally disconnected with God uh, and became ungodly and unrighteous uh, the moment that Adam particip- participated in that sinful event. And then you may remember, I call it the first board meeting. Uh, I'm, I'm seated at a card table tonight and that meeting in Genesis, if it, it was a card table, had God in one spot and Adam in the one spot, and Eve in the other spot, and the serpent, and the Nakash in the other spot. And uh, Eve um, says she's deceived. She doesn't lie. Adam blames God for giving him Eve, and the devil's silent. The ground is cursed for Adam's sake, and the serpent is cursed to crawl on its belly and eat dust, which is a figure for humiliation. Um, but Eve is not either, as far as the scripture is concerned, not cursed, but told that she's going to have some uh, severe pain uh, during child labor. But at that moment, after that meeting is over, the relationship that, that between Adam and Eve is one of ungodliness and unrighteousness. <clears throat> and it would not, would not take but about 1,500 years to get to the event of Noah, where it says, and Men's imaginations were on evil continually. They were the epitome of ungodliness and unrighteousness. And I can tell you with the authority of Scripture that outside of the saved in this world, those who <clears throat> confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead and have received the Holy Spirit, outside of those people, the whole world, no matter how ethical and moral they may be, and we would hope our folks living up and down the street with us, if they're not Christians, are eth- ethical and moral, but they are ungodly and unrighteous. That's the uh, without God and without hope. And that means that the intellect has been affected, the will has been affected, and the emotions have been affected. Been affected. And this is an important thing for us who want to be faithful stewards to understand even our intellect, our emotions, and our will is affected. For the unsaved, their will, their intellect and emotion is turned inward. They're self-governing people picking and choosing how they will live. For the Christian, our intellect, our will, and our emotions are to be controlled by holy writ. And then on a personal level, as that spirit starts to work in your life, as you study holy writ and you remember that to study the scripture is to seek God and Christ's mind on any particular matter, on any particular matter. And when it boils down to you as a human being, a saved human being, it's personal. It's very personal. This love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, kindness, goodness, all those seven things, it's very personal. 
and it is going to be extremely challenging, as we'll find out tonight, for you to bring your intellect to heal, you bring your will to heal, and you bring your emotions to heal and conform to Scripture. That, in one sense, is the definition of sanctification, and that's a noble word. We should not stray from Scripture and use that word when we're talking with people about living their private lives. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then Paul lists all those things that were happening. A.J. was praying about some of these things in general, how our country has slipped away. They basically slipped away um, from all ethical and moral standards at the idol of human rights. And uh, so we as Christians have to identify what sanctification means. So it means that the scripture is going to be the standard for our will. That's what I want. And what I don't want, the scripture is the standard for what I want. And what I don't want, the scripture is um, tells me what I should think and what I should not think. And it tells me what I should feel, how I should hand my, handle my feelings. And these these two words, feeling the, the emotions and the feelings are particularly intense sometimes. And so sanctification can become a struggle. So let's go to John chapter 16. Some of you asked about our notebook and the inquiry notebook that we've done. And Jane, I should be finished, I would hope, by the new year. And if you're interested, we can mail you one. But in John 16 and starting in verse 12, these are familiar to you. But we're going to go over them and sort of get under the print a little bit. When Christ is talking to the apostles and disciples, he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. Verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come. By the way, he's called the spirit of truth multiple times in Scripture. He will guide you into all truth. He's to be a guide, for he shall not speak of himself. And this is very important to understand. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. There are two general uh, categories of things to come. First of all, the Holy Spirit would inspire holy men of God to speak. and the Completion of the scriptures, Matthew, the revelation would be given and completed and set down in print and for all to see. And then the second truth that was going to be spoken, the second general category is the Holy Spirit was going to work with you personally, but with the intent. Now listen very carefully with the intent that you would do what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse one that you would walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called, that you would walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called. But the verse 14 lies one of the great keys and not understanding this practically in my life or your life. And by the way, I'm never talking down to anyone. I'm talking to all of us. So don't let it me talk down to you or you feel like I'm not talking down. I'm just explaining where I stand as well as where you stand. When the Spirit works, verse 14, those first four words are, you should really drive in your head because your intellect is not going to want to accept it sometimes. Your uh, will uh, is not going to want to accept it, and your emotions certainly aren't going to uh, you to accept this. But every time you read Scripture and every time the Spirit enlightens you in regards to a particular Scripture, you must understand And I must understand that when you do that, and it's very private, nobody else knows about it, you glorify Christ, the ascended and glorified Christ, when you do it. That's how serious this is. You see, the great majority of Christians, in in regards to I want, I think, and I feel, they're driven by their intellect, they're driven by their emotions, they're driven by what they want, and consequently, they live in this form of self-government. The scripture calls it being carnal. But every time the scripture is read by you, and you remember when you read the scripture, you're reading the mind of Christ and God as to what your private responsibilities are in the present moment, that every time you listen to the scripture and every time the spirit enlightens you, you are glorifying the ascended glorified Christ. That is a, the underlying principle. That's the battle I have with myself. 
when the scripture says one thing and Mike's feelings, Mike's intellect, and Mike's emotion stands and raises its head against that. And I have a decision to make. If it says, Mike, you're a liar, and it has said to me on occasion, uh, you're, it has said in my personal walk on occasion, you are afraid to tell God's people this truth. You need to straighten up in this category. If you're going to be a pastor, you've got to speak the truth. I've had my intellect and my emotions stand up and say, well, that's just going to be embarrassing to you. And you're going to, people are going to leave the church. And I will tell you practically, it never crossed my mind that I wasn't glorifying him at the time. You see, I got caught up. You've been caught up in your intellect, your emotion, what you want, what you think, what you feel, just as I do. And we don't realize when the scripture says X, and then the spirit in you illuminates that X for you and gives you certain instructions that if you don't do that, it's sinful. And in essence, you're not glorifying the ascended and glorified Christ at that time and his father. And remember, I go through this in my mind all the time when these things pop up as a matter of practical living. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty is a title in Revelations chapter 4, verse 8. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the author of the plan of salvation, which includes walking by the spirit. He gave his only begotten son. He carried out his mission. He raised his son from the dead and set him in his right hand. And now his job is to intercede in our lives, just like I'm telling you now, and to affect your mind, your emotions, and your will. And that's the struggle that we all go through. And by the way, down through the century, there's never been a man or a woman that entered into the Christian faith that hasn't known this and known it well if they pursued the ascended and glorified Christ in the Father's will. So he shall glorify me, and the reason he does is for he shall receive of mine, that's the Spirit's going to receive what comes from Christ, and shall show it unto you personally. And this is the great spiritual advantage of the man and woman of faith that they have a fundamental understanding that the ascended and glorified Christ works personally with them. And I have to drive into my mind literally every day, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and Mike Tomberlin's reason, reason and reasons, and Mike Tomberlin's emotions, and what I want and what I don't want, have to be challenged by the Scripture and the Holy Spirit working in me in the present moment. And then verse 15 talks about the the spirit, the origin of the spirit, and says, all things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Colossians chapter 2. So those two great purposes, the completion of the scripture itself, and then the personal work of the spirit inside you to show you God in Christ's mind as you study the scripture. And by the way, uh, what I'm saying today or tonight, um, if you don't have the habit of reading your scripture and meditating on it, uh, pretty much what I have to say to you is worthless uh, because you have to uh, study the scripture. And as you study it, it's going to illuminate you, and then you will be able to work, walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called. But in Colossians 2 and in verse 1, for I would that you that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom uh, in both of them are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you might write down for your further Edification on this verse three, Matthew eleven twenty seven, and Luke ten twenty two, where Christ just simply says He makes known the Father. Nobody knows the Father like Him, and He makes known the Father to us. So that Holy Spirit interceding in the present moment in your life builds godly character, spiritual character in your life. The Christian in the world is going to be different because our Christ is different. The church in the world should be different. Because our Christ is different. He's ascended and glorified. 
His Father is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, the author of salvation, the giver of the scripture itself and the placing of the Holy Spirit for your own personal illumination to bring about the fruits of the Spirit in your life. I was talking with one of the members of your board in the last 30 days and had a lengthy and wonderful conversation about our mission. And I'd like you to turn to First Timothy in chapter 2. Actually, there's been some prayers from y'all tonight about this particular scripture. It was mentioned as we talked about the great commissions that are listed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that were given to the apostles and it summed up in the Acts chapter and first couple chapters of Acts said that you were to go to Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. It would take 20, approximately 20 years for the apostle Paul to show up after the day of Pentecost, if I remember correctly. But toward the end of the apostle Paul's life in first Timothy chapter two, he gives his brother in Christ, Timothy, who was a, over the church at Ephesus, some last instructions. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father, God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So as far as I'm concerned, to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called in Ephesians 4.1, you, God's desire is for all men to be saved. So Mike Tomberlin is saved. You can plug your name in there as well. That what comes next is to come to a, a knowledge or a uh, acknowledgement of the truth. And that is a definition of sanctification. The The... In Ephesians, it says, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then in the next two verses, it talks about us, about us being called. Jamie, you check that so I, I didn't plan to talk about that, but we're created under good works. You remember that scripture? You know what the greatest fundamental basement, as, as low as you can get to lay a foundation of the good works you'll ever do is to start coming to a knowledge of the truth. And then to acknowledge that truth in your daily living. That's the first good work you will ever do. And every other good work is based on that. Can you read that good and loud, honey? Sure. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's right. God has foreordained that you would come to a knowledge of the truth. There's where the studying lies, and that's where the acknowledgement lies. The, the studying is the gathering of the knowledge, of the, of the knowledge from that holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty's will. That's the studying of it. And the application of it is the acknowledging it in your life. If it just lays dormant, there's no lordship involved. I made a note just to share with you tonight. There's a huge difference between gathering intellectual information and lordship information. Until that intellectual information comes to you and is applied in your life, it's just worthless information sitting there. And this is, this is a, and I'm telling you, the first great work you'll ever do is to lay the proper foundation of knowing and acknowledging, and then and only then are you ready to go out and look somebody in the face as the Spirit moves you and look at them and say, and forget they're a dope addict for a minute, forget they're a homosexual, forget they're an adulterer or an adulteress, forget that they're any of the gross sins of the flesh that you, and don't even deal with those. But look them straight in the face and say, I want you to know that God raised a man called Jesus Christ so you could have everlasting life. Are you interested? The devil would distract you with addiction. The devil will distract you with the adulterer or the adulteress, the gross sins of the flesh. He will distract you where you will not give them a chance to understand the truth of the risen Christ. We'll read more about that as we go along tonight. 
but God would have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge or an acknowledgement of the truth. And whoever this word's gnosis or epigenosis, I didn't look it up tonight, but it has to carry with it the meaning of acknowledging what is written. And the spirit is always going to be asking you to acknowledge what's written, particularly with your loved ones around you. And then there's that second level of people that you're acquaintances with. And then there's the third group of people that you just randomly run into. And we should be very proactive, very eager to say he is risen so you can have everlasting life. And if we can get them saved, as I was talking to one of your board members, everybody's mission should be to get somebody to believing in Christ and believe God raised him from the dead so they'll have everlasting life. Whether they ever come to a knowledge of the truth or not will probably depend on your further work with them. But spiritually, we're called to snatch people out of the world. We're to um, awaken sinners or we're to arouse the saints who are not doing anything. I don't know if you've ever had a period of your life after you came to know the Lord and um, and you just zoned it for a while and didn't do anything. You had in the doldrum, so to speak, and all of a sudden it seems like you'd wake up in one day and you're what? Going at it again. So this presentation, the Spirit is deeply concerned that you and I on a consistent basis want to get people saved. And then if we can, then we have a possibility of leading the truth. One of my favorite uh, authors, she's now dead, just in the last four or five years, Rose Sims, Dr. Rose Sims, wrote a book, uh, The Dream Lives On. It's out of print. You may can get it. It's under another title as well. But she had a great saying in that book said, there's never been a fisherman in this world who could clean a fish before they caught it. And, boy, that stuck with me uh, because I was raised in a culture where you can motivate people into salvation. You can talk about all the benefits of salvation. And certainly there are many privileges. But you know what? There are more responsibilities and privileges. And I thought I can motivate people, but I'd left Christ out of that whole thing. The spirit, the big change in my spirit is moving me now in my latter years with the same spirit I had in my evangelistics stage back in the 60s and 70s. I've always had it. It's just never. I, I will tell you, I just went down the intellectual knowledge deal. You know, I'm going to rightly divide the scripture. and That became my idol. And so what happens is I had all these truths in my head, but I hadn't acknowledged them and brought them out to help people. So pardon me for beating the dead horse, but that's what I did. First Corinthians, yeah, it's the, it was the dream lives on was the first um, name of the book, but now it's called new life for dying churches. It can happen any, anywhere by Dr. Rose Sam. She was a sharp cookie. First Corinthians chapter two and starting in verse nine. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them or it unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, a true relationship with Christ and his intercession that we're going to talk about gives you no place to hide. Your thinking, your emotions, or your will. He is going to be. <laughs> you've never been in bed closer with any human being than you're going to be in bed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's that close. The Spirit in you is wants to be intimate. You cannot hide a thing from Him. Uh, he's going to challenge you at every corner, and. Religion has queered this experience as if he's going to be the, the mean teacher. He's not. And when the spirit works in you, it's to lift you up out of something. And that brings glory to Christ. Drive that principle into your head. When the spirit works in you, you it's a divine act that's happening in the present moment in your life. And he's exhorting you to either stop something sit and rest and meditate on it and see where you should go, or he's going to take you on, take you on a new journey in life. We left out the new journey part because the religion focuses on the sin part. But remember in the second, the 
it's doctrine, reproof, and correction, which is instruction in righteousness. The teaching of what you do comes first. The only reason reproof and correction are needed is you don't carry out the teaching to begin with. So the Holy Spirit works on that level as well. It takes you in the present moment to where you should go. And the place that's practiced most often is the home. The home is the place where you start to learn this. If you can speak the truth to the people you love the most, where the risk is great, and obviously, if you're going to speak the truth, you're going to do it in love. It's going to be measured, but you're going to be speaking to them the truth in the present moment. And you, that's, that is your practice field as the, the family itself, the people you love the most. Verse 10, but God hath revealed this wisdom unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save, and you might just for your understanding, uh, save the life of that man which is in him, even so the things of God, the deep things of God, that's what we were talking about in verse 10, knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So nobody knows you better than the Spirit. And remember that true relationship of Christ and his intercession gives you no place to hide. It's going to be wonderfully honest with you. He never condemns, the Spirit never condemns. It just says stop. It's like a good parent. Don't keep bringing it up again. He just says, stop. There's no judgment with that. It just says what? Stop. So let's start in verse 10 again. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the deep things of a man, save the life of a man which is in him, even so the deep things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the deep things that are freely given to us of God. It always goes back to that verse 10 on those deep things. And the Holy Spirit deals with you on the deep things in your life. And I don't need to tell you because I've got a brain that has its own will, it has its own intellect, it has its own emotions, and you know as well as I do that they want to dominate most of the time. You want to self-govern most of your life, that's where the battle lies. Is it going to be your will, your intellect, or your emotions on the matter, or is it going to be God's directions on your will, your intellect, or your emotions on the matter? And it's very, very few people who get talked to this bluntly. And if anybody out there is an elder, this this is an immense responsibility, and it has to be handled. I don't know exactly the words. It has to be handled Boldly, but cautiously. You, you can't bowl people over with these truths. They, they, everybody, all of us has a different incubation period where you get to the place where you say, that's his will, that's his intellect, and that's his emotion, and I'm going to carry that out right now. No matter what my human intellect, no matter what my human emotion or what I want to do, I'm going to subject that to his will, his intellect, and his emotion. Because he is holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. How can you get around that? And so we spend our lives in sanctification, setting our lives apart for that holy God who is our Father and our ascended glorified Christ. Verse 12, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know those deep things that are freely given to us of God. That spirit's going to freely give you information for you to operate on. It's going to be your free will choice too do or not do, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. That's right. There was a time in my life where I thought I could, you could share so much truth from Scripture that it would bowl people over and they'd have no choice but to get saved. I was going down that wrong road. I wasn't presenting Christ as Lord and Savior and everlasting life. Verse 13 again, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And the Greek text drops out a little here. Moffat translates this, I believe, preparing spiritual things for spiritual people. So Paul's talking to the Corinthians. They're spiritual people. He says that in the first three verses, but they'd gotten off the track, and he's laying out things to get them back. By the way, just as a aside, a Jane took some time tonight to say you're get, you're really passionate about some things right now. You better discipline yourself tonight and stay on track. So this is the first time I'm going to get off track. Just a minute to preach. The book of Corinthians is a reproof epistle. 
And when you get to 12, 13, and 14, it talks about the manifestations of the Spirit and how they're to be handled properly. And it talks about prophecy. Let me ask you a question about the Corinthian church. Did they need to know what was going to happen in the future? Do they need a prophetic <laughs> word about the future? What's the whole book about? You're off the rails. The future was not a concern. It was getting the them and the moment correct, right? And by the way, if you read closely in Corinthians 14, you'll see that there was nobody in the Corinthian church going out and prophesying over A.J. personally. They stood up and they spoke to the whole congregation because the whole congregation was screwed up. So many of the ministries that are out there today where they're doing these personal prophecy things, uh, it's seldom ever, I've seldom ever seen it lead to any good, but I'm not so much concerned about that. It's a corruption, a wrong division of the scripture of what was happening in the book of Corinth to begin with. All right, Jane, I'll get back on track. So verse 13, as last clause, preparing spiritual things for spiritual people. That's what elders do. And if you're not an elder in a church, you're a member in particular. I mean, an elder is just someone who's accepted the more responsibility and oversight, but everybody is preparing spiritual things for spiritual people. If you're, <clears throat> as you're out in the world, verse 14, but the natural man receive not the things of the spirit of God for their foolish unto him, neither can he Know them because they're spiritually discerned. He, his intellect is in charge. His emotions are in charge and his will is in charge. He does what he wants. He thinks what he wants and he feels what he wants. Doesn't he? Yeah. And so there's no, there's no way in God's heaven that uh, he can get out of that category of idolatry. And that's what it is. Self-governing is idolatry. It happens after people get saved. They pick one thing out of the scripture that they agree with and apply in their lives and leave, leave another thing laying there right beside it that they should have picked up as well. We don't get to pick and choose on certain things. I don't get to pick and choose when I teach on homosexuality in our church, which I have done. I don't get to pick and choose. Now, there are things I do get to pick and choose, but spiritually, I can't pick and choose on adultery. Adultery is still adultery. Homosexuality is homosexuality. And the person in the pulpit, so to speak, has to remember that. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God because of their will, their intellect, and their emotion. They self-govern all the time, for they are foolishness unto him, those spiritual things. Neither can know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. And here comes this verse 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, so he can teach us. We have the mind of Christ after salvation, and it needs to be subjected to the Scripture and the intercession of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the present moment. That's the exciting thing about the Christian life. Making that phone call that you were just suddenly prompted to do, or you were the recipient of that phone call that somebody else was prompted to do for your benefit. As far as I know, and uh, if you don't mind me introducing something that I'm not 100% sure of. The only thing, the only way I know you can receive spiritual information is from the scripture itself. And then for you personally, as the Holy Spirit illuminates it as you read it. And thirdly, and this is one of the great lost ones, the body of Christ, we're all filled with the spirit. When it comes to sanctification, which is setting yourself aside, uh, there's never going to be any equality, but, uh, Experience, spiritual experience, spiritual maturity. What's the other one? Experience, maturity, and service. There is never going to be any equality. And by the way, elders who are looking for that, uh, there's never, there's always going to be the 30, 60, 90. There's never going to be any equality in sanctification. And by the way, there's not going to be perfect in anybody either in this lifetime. But our whole job from the moment of salvation is to allow the word and the Spirit's energizing us in the present moment to lead us. That's what it's called, and it's our lifetime journey. And we hear a lot from the pulpit today, and and rightfully so, about our culture. But I'll tell you one thing. Fly 2,000 miles from here and land on a random continent somewhere, and you'll have less privileges. You'll have less rights, and you will not be able to to, uh, gather, as it says in Timothy that we read earlier, uh, in peace. How does it read? I forgot it. First Timothy two thirty two three. 
to lead quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and honesty. That was what I was searching for. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So he can teach us by his intercession, and in, and in turn, we can teach others by our witness. So if you would like to know, bottom line, why I exist, uh, I exist to bring glory to my Savior. The Holy Spirit works in me to do the same thing, to bring glory to my Savior and God our Father. And that basement, bottom line, good work that all of us need to tend to first is to come to a knowledge and the acknowledgement of that, the truth. That's our spiritual journey in a nutshell. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, the scripture that all of you are very familiar with. I did want to tell you in regards to our inquiry, you know, the premise behind the whole thing was it would not be a theological endeavor, but rather a practical endeavor. And, and whether the words Holy Spirit were capitalized or not capitalized with this, was the translator's decision according to what he thought the context meant. But all we were concerned about was in that particular verse, whether it's capitalized or not capitalized wasn't our point because we we knew that God and Christ and the Spirit were never in conflict with one another. So we could always look for the purpose of the Spirit, whether it's the gift in us or it was God himself. We We could look for the purpose in that verse and then Secondarily, we could look for uh, the evidence that came out of that verse as to, and we could see the normal behavior of the Christians in the scripture, because the common experience of all of us should be that the spirit would be moving us every day. Uh, Chapter four, verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, that's what we saw back in Genesis, wasn't it? Dividing the light from the darkness and and bringing order out of chaos. I mean, how many people can you think of right now that are suffering from some some sort of chaos in their family, maybe a little bit or uh, a lot? We're surrounded by people every day. That if, if you, you know, if you had that twilight zone episode event occur, you could read their minds. They're suffering all the time. It's just rampant fears and fear in the world. And there you are with the spirit working in you to be a safe anchor in a storm. Then verse 13, neither, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So he knows you personally better than any, any human being has ever known you and he'll divide asunder if you'll let him and if if you'll understand that every time you follow the scriptures statutes or commandments or does will for your life in that present moment that you're you're immediately glorifying your savior which is in heaven because he's carrying out the father's will and distributing you distributing to you neither is there any creature that's not manifest in the sight but all things are naked and open Unto the eyes with him of whom we have to do. Second Corinthians chapter five. J.B. Lightfoot was born in 1828 and died in 1889 on this subject subject or topic said, think of the instant paralysis of our spiritual life and service when sin enters our experience. And, and, and basically most people in this day and time, and it's been true through the ages of the gross sins of the flesh, the homosexuality, the sexual Adultery, adultery, you know, all those gross sins. But one of the original church fathers, Origen, talks about uh, the refined desires of the mind, that intellect that wants to lead you astray. You you pit your reason against the Father and the Scripture and the Son and his intercession. I don't know how many times Jane and I have sat and talked about the ethical and moral church person. They're going to church. They're ethical and moral. People looking from the outside say, well, that's a good person. They are honest in their business, but they lack, and they think that's enough. But the ascended and glorified Savior has to be confessed for you to have everlasting life, and they've really never come to that point. And so one of the things that we want to do, if we can, is confront people with the fact that do you realize that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead that you might have everlasting life? That's just a, a given. Second Corinthians 5 
and starting in verse 14. And I'm reading this tonight because one of you is, I've had a conversation just this last month says, well, what is our primary thing as a ministry? Now, <laughs> I know my primary work is to bring glory to God and Christ, but my primary witness is to get all men saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That That's fundamental. So all ministries that I know of usually have a statement of belief, but do they have a statement of doing? And uh, so I'd like to read in my conversation, it was with AJ, prompted this uh, for me to go back to 2 Corinthians 5, which I was taught over 50 years ago in about the sixth or seventh session of a class I took called Power for Abundant Living. And verse 14 starts, for the love of Christ constrains us. It does. He's calling us. He's asking those three or four times, you know, to come to him. We thus judge. And if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Okay, there it is. If you're going to live unto him which died for them and rose again, you're going to have to study the scriptures and you're going to have to let make your will and intellect and emotion subject to the scripture. That's just bottom line. That's the best good work. That's the start of the good works. And when God sees you, when God sees you do that in the in the innermost part of your being, then you'll start to be an effective witness. Jane, there's a scripture in Daniel, and you can use your blue letter Bible. And I think it's understandeth or understand is the word. I, I want to read that scripture. Verse 15 again, and that he died for all, that they which live, that's us, should not force live unto themselves. You ought to make a note there. My intellect, my emotion, my will, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. You see, we, I don't even know my wife who's seated over here to my left and my daughter who's seated across from me tonight who came over to do all the setup of the computer because I, I can't do that. I don't even know them after the flesh anymore. I know them as spiritual people doing spiritual things. So when you read this that you're not even supposed to know Christ after the flesh, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't read about his subjecting his flesh, his intellect, and his emotions. Remember, he cried. He was tired. He was all those things, tempted and always like his sin was sin, tempted and always like us, and yet without sin. But he did one thing. He subjected his will, his intellect, and emotion to the fathers, and that will, and that came up in Gethsemane, a crisis. Now, we all have our Gethsemanes. No devout Christian who's trying to lead a sanctified life and carry out Scripture and listen to the Spirit working in them, nobody is exempt from not having a Gethsemane where you're on the, you're like that, I can't remember her name, that won the Olympics on that balance beam. Simone Biles, the Christian many times, gets to their Gethsemane, man, and they're on that balance beam, and on the right side is faithfulness, and on the left side is unfaithfulness, and you have to make the decision. And by the way, you may become very unpopular for a while. And Christ would say that on a number of occasions in the Gospels. We're supposed to know the Gospels. But to miss Christ, who is risen and Lord, is to miss the new creation man, period. Everything starting with Romans and proceeding to the end of the scripture is talking about knowing the ascended and glorified Christ. Paul says, you know, even if an angel from heaven teaches another gospel, let him be accursed. We should master the gospels. We should be thankful. Watch him in the gospels. But that's not how we know him anymore. That's his revelation sketches, revelation sketches. He is the ascended and glorified Christ. And Paul said himself in Galatians, he said that he had a revelation of or from Jesus Christ. He had a revelation about the ascended and glorified Christ, the privileges, the responsibilities, the mystery, Gentiles, fellow heirs, Christ in you, the body of Christ, members in particular, with Christ as the head. That's how we know him now. He's the head. He's not the humble guy in the Gospels. He is my head. 
I'm a member in particular, and in Romans 12 and in Corinthians 12, Paul felt a necessity to explain how could it possibly be that many individuals make up one body and Christ the head. Paul was convinced of the unity. For him, it was a given. Christ is the head, and every Christian in every country is a functioning member of that body. That was apparent to Paul. To the average Joe coming into the church, what has to be explained is the multiplicity of the members. That's what Paul explained. I didn't say that right. That there were many members and a unity in the head was obvious with Paul. What he had to explain was, how could this new creation man be made up of many people with many different abilities? And how are they supposed to walk to bring glory to that head? 16 again, wherefore, henceforth, we know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, become all things become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, he's given us to, to us the ministry of reconciling men back to God, that's what 1 Timothy 2.14 says. God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Reconciliation has more to do with the salvation event. It has to do with the sanctification event. It also has to do with the glorification event, which are the three parts of the faith that we strayed so far far from them. In many cases, we people have become Joel Osteen's, that God and Christ only exist to make your way easy in life. Uh, <laughs> That runs up against the statement in Romans 8, the sufferings of this present time can't be compared to the what? Glory that's going to be revealed in us. The sanctification, this, this, this making the will, the intellect and the emotion subservient to the word and the spirit working in you or with the help of another member in the body of Christ. And by the way, everybody should have mentors. I have mentors that are younger than me. I have very few mentors now that are older than me, except their books. They're dead. But there's one of the great assets in the church is the other members who are deeply concerned about a holy life and can help you with your holy life. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world on himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's where when you tell somebody that God raised a man from the dead so they could have an everlasting life, man, that's the go go square on the monopoly board. That's where you start. You don't start with their addiction. They're dead in trespasses and sins without God and without hope. So why does Mike exist? And what is my first mission? Well, it was the same as the apostles, wasn't it? To speak the truth in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I will tell you, this is very uh, rude to say this. Some of the ministries that split off from the old way international, which in its original conception was wonderful. Those split offs are aging. I'm an example of that. And if those split off ministries are going to persevere into the future, into the next generation, they're going to have to get out there and organize their own minds to make sure that their first priority of sanctification is one of the first priorities is to get people saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Otherwise, everything just falls apart like it did in Ephesus after Timothy died in all probability and Titus and those men. The record of church history is by the, the 300s, 400s, that the, the, the seeds of the Roman Catholic Church were being settled. The church in the east, what was called the Byzantine Empire, stayed together on scripture a lot longer. But the West, of which you and I are legacies of, uh, three quarters of the church history in the West is the Roman Catholic Church. It's only been since 1517 that it's been Protestant. So we're in charge of the reconciliation. In verse 20, you can just see Dr. Earl jumping up and down when he taught this. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Uh, be reconciled to God for you and made him to be sin for us or sin offering for us who knew no sin that we might be, might be made the righteousness of God. What in him? What a marvelous thing. 
So we are ambassadors. That spirit working in you is going to lead you to be a champion. And I like to say it this way. It doesn't make any difference how old you are. I go into an assisted living home to visit someone. I'm just as active on a witness as if I'm working with high school, Christian family, Christian fellowship of Christian athletes. That scripture in Daniel, James just handed to me is, um, Daniel 10, 12. Let's turn there. We're getting toward the end. Ezekiel, Daniel. Did I knock that card off into the floor, Jane? Where did it's Daniel 10, 12. Daniel 10, 12. Yeah, 10, 12. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. So there lies that whole sanctification principle. You have a personal prayer with yourself, a serious prayer. I want to understand God, and I do not want my intellect and my emotion and my will to interfere i want to in one sense to get the picture in your mind i want to step outside of myself and look at myself according to scripture i want to understand i mean that's part of my active prayer i want to understand more so i can carry it out i can acknowledge it chasten myself you set your heart to understand and it says you were willing to chasten yourself and that is the typical thing that happens down through all the great men and women in Scripture. They were willing to chasten themselves. They were to take God's judgment for just what it said, and they were to adapt their will, their intellect, and their emotion to that. And then that brought forth fruit in their life somewhere along the line. Because every time the word spirit is used, and when you get the notebook and you look at it, you'll see it. Every every Scripture that has spirit in it has a purpose. What's its purpose in that scripture? Sometimes it's to advance your love. Sometimes it's to advance your peace. Sometimes it's to advance your witnessing. Sometimes to chasten you. And then it has an evidence. It has. A, there's always evidence by walking in the spirit. We walk by faith and not by sight. I think it's in Second Corinthians seven or First Corinthians seven. I'm not a good remember of scripture, but that's in reference to the Lord's return. And we do walk by faith and not by sight. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit works, there's evidences all over the place. You can't ignore it. I took some notes um, that I'd like to read. I keep a little collection of cards. And I'd like to read a few of them to, to close tonight. Remembering that you're supposed to awaken sinners and arouse the saints. There are people who are dead in trespasses and sins and don't have any knowledge of the faith. And then there are people in the faith that need to be brought to a further knowledge of the truth. But here are some of those things. Second Corinthians 5, 7 is walk by faith and not by sight. There's several of these little cards that prompted the scripture working in me, prompted me to write down the church is his visible presence in the world. And it's going to be different because our sin and glorified Christ is different. We're to awaken sinners and arouse the saints. Simply stated, sin is always deceitful. It always masks its real intention. And without Christ and the Spirit, we have no, and the Word, we have no chance but to be deceived. Sin is always deceitful. You ought to write that down somewhere. There are certain things in life that are going to look good to begin with, but they need to be gotten rid of. Even, you know, we think about that scripture in Hebrews that Jane brought to my attention. We're so easily beset by the weights and sins. Jane, if you can look that up, there are good things that we we do in our lives that probably need to be looked at as well as the bad things and, and see if the good things are even leading us astray. Again, sanctification is not equal in any or in this life perfect in any, but we're maturing in holiness daily. It is the Holy Spirit's work to direct the intellect, the will, and the emotions by revealing scriptural teaching, reproof, and correction. Because all these things are instruction in righteousness. The word of God is instructing you in righteousness. The spirit works in you, enlightens you, and furthers you in your righteousness. There is a huge difference between intellectual information and lordship information. Uh, information not applied is, is um, biblical information not applied is being unfaithful. You're supposed to apply what you know. God's holy ones need the Holy Spirit's intercession to mortify 
sinful desires, avoid sinful words, sinful actions. And we wrestle with this every day, and that's in Romans 8, 13, where it says we're to mortify the flesh. That means we're to, it's a, if you've ever seen a murder on television where they strangle somebody, that's what mortify means. It's to strangle something out of your life. And you know it's true that certain things just have to be throttled. They they have to be put to death, and sometimes that takes us a while. That's that incubation period I was talking about. Samuel Rutherford, writing in 1650, said, A sanctified life does not look for needless suffering, but rather is one, one is so committed to the ascended and glorified Christ in his ways that suffering is no deterrent to obedience. That, though not always pleasant, a sanctified life is always good. The road of self-denial. Luke 9:23. If anyone would follow me, Christ says, take up your cross and bear your cross and follow me. The road of self-denial contains many difficulties that run contrary to our natural desire. And that's where we basically started tonight. Light coming out of darkness, order coming out of chaos. And that often runs contrary to our natural desire, our will, our intellect, and our emotion. And finally, a true relationship with Christ and his intercession gives you no place to hide. Get used to it. God, thanks for our time together tonight. Thank you for my words being spoken truly and honestly. Thank you that they entered the head and go into the heart and the applications are applied in daily life. Otherwise, we will fill the vacuum with our own intellect, our own emotion, and our own will. And thank you so much for your ascended, glorified son, Father, for he is on the job 24-7 interceding in my life and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are serious about the faith. And we ask these things in the ascended and glorified Christ's precious name. Amen and amen. Thanks so much again for the privilege of getting in front of you. And I hope you have a good Thanksgiving season and Christmas holidays and a new year. And May I say I have a personal prayer that your ministry grows. Um, and I happen to be reading in my casual reading, One Lord and One God by John Lynn and John Shane Knight and Mark Grayson on page 142. Uh, right over in the corner, you got it, it's right in the crease, <laughs> uh, where the two pages run together and bound is a statement that says, the more perfect a servant, the less the self is relevant. And I would change that and say, the more the, more mature a person becomes leading a sanctified life, the less relevant your personal intellect, your personal emotions, and your personal will makes any difference at all. You just set them aside. The whole world today, particularly the Western world, is shot through with my rights of, of this, my rights of that. Uh, we, When we become Christians, we give up our rights in many sense and we we submit ourselves just like in the family the husband submits himself to the head Christ the wife submits himself to the herself to her husband and the children submit to the husband and the wife and of course Christ uh, because he is was and is our savior submits himself to God the father so thanks for the privilege of being with you tonight take care we were the beggars now we're Sing for Cause we were the best